It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to share with you at a noonday Bible study, and I'm always considered a privilege to be able to do so. Uh, but most of you know that all of these preachers that God has blessed you to have and share with, we all are different. So I haven't come to represent Fred Smith, <laughs> nor Emmanuel Smith, or Patsy, or whoever have been or have had the responsibility and share. So all you can get is what God has given Jennifer Jones. And I can only deliver it in the way that he's given it to me. So we trust now that you would uh, listen to what it is that the Lord is speaking, not just to you, but is speaking to me because it comes to me first. And it deals with me first. Uh, and it finds me in my experiences and some of the things that uh, are burdening uh, my heart, but yet gives me hope for the church. I know that Pastor Smith for some time spent a great deal of time in the book of James, and that hasn't been very long ago, so I know that you're well versed there, but I want to take you back for just a moment. There's something that's been lingering in my uh, mind, in my heart, that I have a great concern about, but I'm also optimistic if, in fact, we take a different perspective in terms of the way that we look at it. We'll be looking at James, the third chapter, and we'll be paying particular attention to those first 12 verses. James, the third chapter, in those verse twel first 12 verses. And let me read those for you hearing. He says, my brother, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, whatever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and the creatures of the sea is tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men. We have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grape vine bear figs. Thus no spring can yield both salt, water, and fresh. The word of the Lord for the people of God. 
the world's smallest but largest troublemaker, the tongue. The world's smallest but largest troublemaker, the tongue. That's something that I've been paying particular attention to um, in a number of arenas. One certainly in the political arena. Who's shaping the narrative of what the world looks like and should be like and what's actually going on? You know, when I was growing up, folk used to say, <clears throat> and I guess they still say it to some extent, a lie when it travels can go many miles. And if you say it long enough, it becomes truth to some people. So when I, I think about what's going on in the, the political world, I think about the fact that they have begun to count, and I think they are running out of numbers to talk about the number of lies that are coming from one person, not just out of DC period, but just from one person. And that's the man who has the top job, the top job, the one who has the bully pulpit and can influence folk in a number of ways. Not only does he do it when they grab him on TV, but he has figured out how to use Twitter and all of this new technology to say it over and over and over again. And even though he's been proven wrong, he has the opportunity to say it more often and put it in front of folk more often that they're believing it. So that leads me to wonder, as I think about the church, who's controlling our narrative? And what is our narrative? What is our conversation about the church? What does the street committee have to say about the church? What are those who we're missing having to say about the church? And more importantly, what is our conversation? What, how are we using our tongue? You know, I think we, we're spending a lot of time and, and we're shaping and we're making some inferences around some particular things. And I'm going to get to the text, but I want us, and, 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 and I've had to, this has really hit me hard when I always debrief after I've talked with someone, whether I added value or took it away and whether what I said build up or tore something down, or where there was confusion. Did I add to the confusion, or did I speak peace? So as we think about the tongue, and I, I don't want to focus on Donald Trump, I want to focus on the church, because I believe we've allowed some other folks to shape the narrative that's coming out of the church that really has nothing to do with what Jesus says when he says, when, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Now somebody's saying, and I know that I'm in here with mostly seasoned saints, so you think you've got it down, but all of the places that you have opportunity to talk, are you letting MSNBC and CNN and Donald Trump's Twitter, and even other folk who are trying to examine the church from the outside rather than the end, 
shape how we hold a conversation. So let me see if I can bring it home a little more, and then we're going to get to this text that I think will lend to a couple of things that could be very helpful for us as we go forward. I don't believe we, we, we're being mean about it or we're being intentional about not using the correct narrative that draws or, or that builds. It's just conversation that's out there. I know I spend a lot of time with my friends now talking about sickness and death. And I spend a lot of time going to and participating in funerals. So I'm spending more time about death. Now I'm just talking about me. And, and, and you can think about how you spend your time and what your conversations are like. Around the dinner table, you know, everybody's rehearsing about uh, what they read in the paper in the obituary section. Right? Everybody is... Even as you look on the sick list, and, 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 and we've been encouraged to pray, the bigger conversation goes around who's the sickest, not who's home, and who's being healed, and whose life being transformed. My point is, my brothers and sisters, that as we look at this and we talk about our tongue, we're not talking about the tongue of the unbeliever. I'm talking about the tongue of church folk that there's more talk about death than life. There's more talk about death and confusion and who's not in the church than transformation yeah. and hope. So why don't we come to the church? Just so that we can get the medicine that we need to be able to feel whole and healed? Is that all? Or do we come with the responsibility of the gift that God has given us to have influence, to have a different narrative, to shape about the church? I'm convinced if we change the narrative from the negative to the positive, folk will be running in the building. Let me say that again. If we change the narrative... Now, let me say, you don't have to go very far to change the narrative. You can change the narrative in your home. But the fact is, when you get home, you have such a negative conversation that folk wondering why you come to church at all. I heard one of the, uh, what, what's her name? Uh, Warren asked the guy last night, what, uh, <laughs> why would you even one, run for the president if all you could talk about is what can't happen? Yeah. So why do we come to church if all we're coming to talk about is the worst of what's going on rather than? So I think I'm suggesting a couple of things. And I'm not pointing the finger at you. I think we're all guilty of it. We get wrapped up in our pain and our experiences. And let's be truthful. It's overwhelming. But the advocate does that and Channel 9 does that. We ought to have a different story to tell. Not, not acknowledge the death of folk because we're not a people without hope because death doesn't mean the end to us. And we're aware of that, right? But that's not where we ought to spend our time. That might be part of the story after you talk about the transformation and how you can be happy that folk died in the Lord. And if you want to talk about the funeral, talk about the celebration and the joy of it not just the pain of it. So this is really what 
I want us to look at and pay particular attention to because I want us to focus more on and think about whose responsibility and how are we handling that small thing that we don't realize how much harm it does. Now, if I decided to use the word evangelism, I'd lose a whole bunch of you all simply because you've assigned that to some other folk. But every time you speak with the gift that God has given you, you are evangelizing. Now, either you are drawing folk, or running them away. Just think about with me for a few minutes. Where are some of the places you go where you have conversation? And really where you have influence? Where you're talking to some folk? Everybody don't have to speak at the same time. Just where are some things, places where you go? Now, we're seasoned folks, so I find that I'm meeting, you know, where I used to meet people in some other places, I'm meeting them out at Ashna. I'm just saying, I'm trying to be honest with you. There are a few places that I go now that's limited that I didn't used to spend a whole lot of time at, but I find myself spending significant time there. But think about it. I'm just trying to throw some stuff out there. Where do you go? How do you interact with your family? What does Sunday dinner look like, or if you even have Sunday dinner? Opportunities that you might be able to do something a little bit different. So as we look at those verses and we think about James, and you've had this study, so I'm just going to highlight a few things for you. One is that James has explained two characteristics, and this is really, and why I'm being specific about focusing on the church, because James wasn't talking to the sinner. No, he wasn't. He was talking to seasoned, matured Christians, huh? Who ought to know better. And what they say, if you know better, <laughs> you got that right. So he is patient in trouble. That's the first thing he says about a mature Christian in uh, chapter 1. In the second uh, chapter, he says he practices the truth as he knows the truth. But in this third chapter that we're looking at, he shares a third characteristic that we as seasoned believers, and that is that we should have power over our tongue. So if you stay with me, that means that we should have the ability and use that power to control the narrative. Because it's proven whoever controls the narrative controls the mindset and the ability to help people think and have hope and faith to know that things can get better and will get better if, in fact, we trust in God. Is that not true? Is that not what you believe? But is that your conversation? You don't have to raise your hand, and you don't even have to nod. I'm just saying, let's examine ourselves on that. The Christians that James wrote to were apparently having some serious problems with their tongues. So he's acknowledging that not just unbelievers, but Christians sometimes, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and I don't care how saved we are, there are some things that just take us in another direction. And what we're doing, rather than changing the narrative, we're falling for it. 
I can't believe how many folk out here that saying, I don't know if you un, uh, believe this or not, but Trump is going to win again. I didn't say it wasn't possible. And it's scary, right? But is that going to change that dynamic? Because you know what? You're going to tell somebody else that. And then all they're going to focus on, it is possible, right? Rather than do what they know, if in fact you believe in hope. If in fact you believe that God can change anything and anybody. And he's in control of the situation. Now, does that mean that God may not allow him to go again? Maybe so. But that doesn't stop me from understanding that God also can change that situation. And there's something incumbent upon me and others to make sure that we do our best. Not to just tell folk, there's no need for you to go vote or even think about it. Because we have the power of the Holy Ghost to speak as though it were and then to act in ways that make a significant difference. So the Christian that James wrote to, even though they had serious problems with their tongues, he had to warn them to be swift to hear. Be careful what you let filter and get into your mind's eye and into your spirit and what causes you to move and what keeps you up where you are able to, uh, what you hear, take and turn that into the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm often asked about social justice, and I, I always uh, preface, especially for church folk who sometimes just don't want to hear that, but social justice is the gospel in action. Yeah. To hear evil and call it out. Yeah. Then it says to slow to speak. Think before you speak. If, if we're going to leave today thinking about controlling the narrative, I want us to slow down. Don't just because you can say what just comes up. Give some thought because you are the mouthpiece. When you open your mouth, you're not representing yourself. You were left here, even though we all should be dead or could be dead, with the power of the tongue to use it for good. Then the other is slow to wrath. That's something I deal with because, I, you know, I tell folk I'm from South Baton Rouge and I was just kind of raised to <laughs> fight back. If you give me a word, I got one for you. If you give me a lick, I got one for you. But that's not what James is admonishing here. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. The believer who does not bridle his tongue is not truly religious. He says that in James 1 and 26. We must speak and act as though we were already facing Christ on judgment day. That would be some way to help kind of make us think about what we're saying. If he's going to play this back and throw this back in my face and maybe use this to see where I sit or what my crowns might be, I might want to take that back. And then if I think about it beforehand, I might not say it. I might want to say something that's more hopeful, something that will draw 
something that won't kill. When you read passages, and, and let's look at uh, James 4, in chapter 4, just for a moment. We're going to look at a couple of verses there. In James 4, verse 1, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? And then go down to 11 and 12. It says, Indeed, talking about wars, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and you've seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. These are the kind of thing, you get the impression that this assembly must have had some interesting meetings. The power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. With the tongue, man can praise God. With tongue, man can preach and teach the word. With the tongue, man can lead the lost to Christ. Isn't that a privilege? Did you recognize that you had that kind of power? But with that same tongue, he can tell lies that could ruin a man's reputation. We don't think about that when we're sharing gossip, do we? Or with that same tongue, we can break somebody's heart. The ability to speak words is the ability to influence others and accomplish tremendous tasks and yet take the ability for granted. What does that say? That says that we can influence? If it does that mean that we can change somebody's thinking or their way of acting? Or can we just talk about how bad it is? Can we just talk about how bad our young men are wearing their pants below their butt or how our streets are being flooded and there's murder after murder and it just seems like nothing we can do. Is that our conversation or can we talk about what changes the heart of men that will make them or help them understand they need, might need to pull up their pants? Might, if in fact we use our influence, might make them think before they take another life. But is that the message? Is that the narrative that's coming out the church? So in this text, in these few verses, in order to impress on us the importance of controlled speech and the great consequences of our words, James uses six pictures of the tongue. He uses the bit, the rudder. He uses fire, a poisonous animal. And he also uses a fountain and a fig tree. So what? I'd like to do just for the sake of time is to put these six pictures into three meaningful classifications that reveal to us the three powers of the tongue. Now, there are many, but again, I want you to understand I'm talking about the narrative that we're using as the church. And I want you to stay in that frame with me as we look at these three different classifications, as we look at the way that God can use the tongue now, there's no doubt, you guys have been coming to Bible study, you've been in Sunday school, if we had to count the number of years, and I hear people talk about that all the time, to talk about the number of years somebody has been uh, in the federal government. 
talk about how, how many years they count up all of the individual years in the room. Now, I don't have time to do that this morning, but I just want you to think about it. Look kind of on your pew. You probably know how long some of these folk have been in the church and have heard the word. So they've got it. It's not that we don't have it. Maybe how we're using it. Now, I know I'm making some folk be, uh, feel uncomfortable, and this is not about condemning and condoning anyone. I want us, and I say us because I'm as guilty as anybody in here. Sometimes I get overwhelmed, and I begin to listen at trash talk. I begin to listen at the worst about folk rather than the best. Now, let me say this. Some folk is hard to find the best in, right? And what, what, what they told you, if you don't have nothing good to say about some folk, I'm just saying. So in verses 1 through 4 again, we're going to look at the power to direct because that's what he uses when he talks about and what we need to think about, the bit and the rudder, and what they control, what your tongue controls. Just think about it. You don't even have to move it around in your mouth. But I tell you what, I hope after today you're going to think about it when you use it to do something a little bit different. Teachers must practice what they teach, otherwise their teaching is hypocrisy. Christians must practice what they speak, what they pretend to live, otherwise it's what? Hypocrisy. And even though sometimes we're saying the right things, but because of the way that we live, and act among folk outside those who you want to convince that you're super holy. If you live contrary to what you are speaking or teaching or sharing, then the narrative that's coming out of your mouth is not even heard because they're looking at you as a hypocrite. Think about the damage that can be done to somebody who appears to be unprepared and you hear, and, and some of you may feel that even about me, and that's your choice if that's what you want to feel. You're entitled to that. That our spiritual lives are not aligned with God's word, or it's not up to par. Now, that's judgment. And what does the Bible say about judging? Huh? All right. So in selecting the, the bit of the rudder, James presents two items that are, are small themselves, yet he exercises, or they exercise, rather, great power. Just like our tongue does. A small bit enables the rudder to control the great horse. Now, it doesn't take anything big. It doesn't take money. It takes willpower, and it takes being smart to use something that works and use it in a way and in a fashion that actually makes a difference. So if they're going to control a horse and just put something in their mouth to do so, and it controls what? What direction they go in? What else does it control? Whether or not it stops and starts, right? So there are a number of things that that small instrument, if used correctly, can control. So liken that to your tongue. You might think it doesn't need, or your tongue doesn't have that kind of effect. Only Pastor Fred Jeff's tongue has that effect. And then some of you are thinking, well, who in the world does she think she is? 
trying to tell me how to use my tongue. Well, it's not what I'm saying. It's what the scripture says. A small rudder enables a pilot to steer the huge ship. You ever been on a cruise ship? Hmm? So all that ship with them thousands of folk aboard, not just the folk, but all of the equipment and food that's aboard of that ship, and all of the other folk that not just are on the ship for the cruise, but those who have to work on it, if you looked at the numbers, you'd be amazed, but something very small controls that. What's the analogy there in terms of what a rudder can do and what you can do? Is there anything too hard for God and is there anything that you can use your tongue to stop that seems overwhelming? Well, let me help you think about it. Are you satisfied with attendance in Shiloh? Are you satisfied with the crime in your community? Are you satisfied with the quality of education and what's happening to our children? Are you satisfied with the number of black men and women that are in Paris prison and they're only there because they can't pay a bail? And matter of fact, they're going to stay there until the court system finds time to hear them, and by the time they get there, they would have served more time than they were even sentenced to because they're poor folk. So what does that have to do with narrative? What's our conversation? Matter of fact, we're silent about most of that. Huh? Because we're not talking about it. And then the other piece is that we're not willing to do anything about it. So the tongue is a small member in the body but yet it's powerful, and it can accomplish great things. So is it the church? Somebody's saying that's not spiritual stuff that we ought to be talking about. Well, it is spiritual stuff. It's the care and concern of God's people, and we need to be using our tongues to shape the narrative that folk begin to pay attention to it and do other things that are necessary to bring about that change. That can be transformed. It can be different. It can be if we dreamed and not just have the dream and speak it into being, but do the work that's necessary. And that requires we use our tongue to do that. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces. Yeah, there's those out there just waiting. They want to talk about what you used to be. They want to talk about a whole bunch of things other than the truth. But the reason Trump controls the narrative is because he continues to say it. Not only does he continue to say it, he uses every avenue available to him to be able to address that. The bitch must overcome the wild nature of the horse, and the rust rudder must fight the winds and the currents that will drive the ship off its course. So there's some things that's going to get in your way. You can expect them. He didn't say it was going to be easy, did he? No. This means that both the bit and the rudder must be under the control of a strong hand. That's what happens when we come to worship. 
We come to be built up. We come to worship. And when we do that, then we leave to do what? To serve. The second thing I want us to look at is the power to destroy that he uses. And he uses two examples in verses 5 through 8. And that's the fire and the animal. One of the things that we know is that a fire can begin with just a small spark, but it can grow to destroy a city. Now, no better example of that than the fires in California. Right? Sometimes when they finally discover what really started it, it something, a campfire didn't get put out. And somebody dropped a cigarette that still had fire to it. David said, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Have you ever had the experience? Of course you have. You've had a hot head, I've had one too. And a hot heart can lead to burning words that later we will regret. That's one of the ways that we, we've been using our tongue. You know, and you know, most of us are conscious to what we've said to hurt and not to heal, uh, things that we've said to tear down and not to build. And we confess. I always uh, have, and I've added to my prayer, Louise Calloway, it's a prayer of omission and commission. Because sometimes I'm not sure if I know some of the things I've said to hurt somebody or to harm somebody. But part of my prayer is the prayer of omission and commission. The bit and the rudder have power to direct, which means that affect the lives of others. A runaway horse. or a shipwreck could mean injury or death to pedestrians. The words we speak affect the lives of others. A judge says guilty or not guilty, and those words affect the destiny of the prisoner and his family. So simply what I'm saying is that what we use our tongue and how we use it we need to be mindful of it and pay attention to it. And then let the narrative of the church be more about transformation than anything else. And when that begins to happen, not only do, I'm not just interested in pews being filled. What I'm interested in is in lives being transformed. What I'm interested in is people leaving here with enough energy and what they need to be able to, wherever they are, use the influence say and do what needs to be done. So that's the way we need to think about that. Now, you know, you think about the animal. Not only is the tongue like fire, but it's also like a dangerous animal. It is restless and cannot be ruled. And it seeks the prey and pounce and kill. Some animals are poisonous and some tongues spread poison. What that look like? What does that look like? So 
you Christian folk will say, I ain't never killed nobody. You kill somebody's dream. Yeah. You stopped them in their track when they were ready to come in and get busy. Finally, you're going to get a copy of this lesson for the day. The third characteristic is one of the lights, the power to the light. And that's what I want you to leave with. Talks about the fountain and the tree. One being the fountain, of course, provides the cool water that in the midst of thirst in a community, your word should be like cool water like a bottle, it doesn't matter what it comes in. Yeah. But when folks see you, and you're talking not about death, but you're talking about transformation, it's going to make a tremendous difference in your lives and in the lives of people we see. Yes. So the example you use is an excellent one because most folks get to see where that prompt went away, and I'm glad Dana brought me to An opportunity in thinking you're doing the right thing by teaching them one thing, you could be damaging another. 
So now that you've had an opportunity to think about it, where would you put your That's, that's the natural inclination that we would all have to respond in that way, especially grandparents, because parents, you know, they, they're limited. They, they're just trying to quiet them. And then this new training. So the point, I guess, when we talk about narrative, uh, Kathy, that's so good. Uh, that example is great. What are we teaching folk with the narrative that we're spitting out? And I want you to think about where you're doing that wherever you are. For women, when you go to the beauty shop and there's lots of conversation going on, do you add into the street committee version of something? Or do you try to help them think differently? Now, it's just natural. Some of it sounds, you know, like I won't know more about from your perspective. The other is that we have some opportunity. Now, don't get frightened. I'm not about to pass out, but I had a tooth <laughs> extraction. I got it. On Monday. And I didn't use my best sense, and I took some medication before I came in. So simply because I was feeling dizzy, I've asked for a stool, and I'm going to finish this up because I'm talking about transformation and how we use our good sense, right? All right. So my point, Kathy, and the example that you gave us, I just bet that everybody in here has some kind of example simple, simple, you know, that lines up to that. And if you think about it, you don't have to go far. It might have happened this morning. So the challenge of how you use your tongue, I want that challenge to be around, and the word Kathy uses is what I'm trying to teach them. And she was trying to really teach them two things in that example. Now, then what you would have to do, and I think we've already said it, and she's agreed to it, is that I need to think before I respond. And what we have to understand is that most of us was trained one way, but this is a new world. Yeah. that we're living in. Yeah. And God knows, I hear this from millennials all the time because we don't want to teach them in a way, we want to teach them in the way that we were taught, right? And they don't receive that in the way that we received it. So what does that do? That turns them away, turns them away. rather than brings them in. Uh-huh. <laughs> Frustration? Isn't that a natural inclination, though? I think what I want to encourage, not to get away from the word, but honor it and know what's, where you're coming from with it, right? Let frustration be a motivation for you to think I might need to do differently. Because right now, I'm mad is, and I'm not going to add to that, <laughs> but I'm mad is, 
I got to clean this mess up. You understand what I'm saying? Again, that tongue is powerful. So let me do this as we prepare to close this out. You're going to get a handout that will help you look at this in some other ways as well. It says, let me suggest that you start using the 12 words that can transform your life. Not only transform your life, because you're going to feel better as a result of it, but whomever it is that you have an opportunity to talk to, I didn't say witness to, because your conversation, I think, and you will agree with me that we are all ministers. And as you profess to be a born-again, spirit-filled believer, folk are listening and looking at your words and trying to hang on to them because you're supposed to be bigger than that, right? You're supposed to be somewhat in control of that. Can you stand up so folk can hear you a little bit better, sweetheart? Beautiful expression. And that fear God is about reverence to God, respecting who God is, and then being appreciative and grateful that God gave you the spirit and the word and the values that can make a difference. Would you agree with that? Okay. Excellent point. And again, I want to take you back to where we started. I want you to think about shaping a new narrative for the church. I want you to understand that every word that you speak, wherever you speak it, you have influence over other people, and you have an opportunity to transform their life. And know how I know? Because he transformed ours. You might not be what you want to be, but if truth be told, we're certainly not who we used to be. And it wasn't anything we did on our own. You know, there were some things that we thought we did on our own, right? But the reality, if it had not been, my, my, my. So that's just a couple of things I want to leave you with in terms of how God can use you in that tongue. He can use you to be a blessing and an encouragement. And he can use you to share how God transformed your life and how he has the ability even yet today to do it even again with others, right? 
and when we're talking about the business of the church, we're not talking about filling pews. No. We're talking about transforming lives, yeah. right? Isn't that the business of the church? He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So that's 12 words I want you to think about, and you're going to have it on that piece of paper. You may already have it as it's been passed around. Simple thing, Christian folk, please and thank you. Now I want you to say that not just to your circle. I want you to say it to your village. And your village is wherever you have influence, right? Think about what that might be. The other is not to be so headstrong that you can't say I'm sorry. Hmm? I love you. I'm praying for you. Why? Because the tongue has great power. God gave you your tongue and your heart each day. And all you need to do is ask God to help you to use it. So when I'm in my weakest and I recognize I've made these mistakes, I simply say, help me, Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of the Lord, in some ways, just rise up in me. Sometimes the scripture comes. Sometimes the song comes. Sometimes the blessing of other folk in my life is put in front of me that I might be that in somebody else's life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us stand. There may be someone in the building today. <laughs>